0: The Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Switch to Aussie-owned Red Energy today, Prince Wine Store, bringing Melburnians the greatest wine in the world, and Cobram Estate, Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil, grown, harvested and first cold-pressed in Northern Victoria. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Cory Perkin. Welcome to Don't
1: Shoot the Messenger everyone. This is episode 278. I'm Corrie Perkin with you on a in a week of intense football mania and I don't mean the AFL kind of football. Caro, what a week, huh?
2: It was amazing Corrie watching the Matildas on Saturday night and I think or late Saturday, I think we'll all remember where we were the day that oh, that final final penalty went in it was an extraordinary night it was an extraordinary um night of television it spoke volumes about the type of people who are watching this unbelievable team who have just shocked us all with how well they've done and drawn crowds that i never thought possible in terms of tv audiences and obviously as well as other other audiences to um to watch them and as we speak they're facing they're about to face england In their first ever World Cup semi-final, no no Australian soccer team man or woman has ever made it this far. So,
1: Yeah, so as we record this episode on Tuesday, the Matildas are preparing to take on England, Australia's traditional sporting foe, our old colonial rulers in the semi-finals, and that will determine who will play the winner of actually tonight's game between Spain and Sweden. But also, Caro, huge excitement as one of the closest and most interesting AFL home and away seasons in years draws to a close, a perfect week in sport for both you and I. So lots to enjoy and lots to talk about on our podcast. You have a recipe and a screen, and we have both read the same book, We have. You lent me this book when I
2: was overseas and I read it just after I left you in Florence. I'd already started reading it. Absolutely. Well, no, I I really, really enjoyed it. I didn't absolutely love it. I did love it. It was just a very unusually, the translation you can always tell when a book has been translated. It's translated from German and we're going to talk about that. And um, I have been watching a fabulous fabulous series
1: on SBS On Demand. More on that later on in the show, but firstly, thank you to the show's sponsors, Red Energy and Prince Wine Store, and of course, our new sponsor, Cobram Estate. Welcome to our three great friends, Caro Housekeeping and Correspondence. There's a bit in the mailbag. Felicity Brown via email. Hi, Caro, Corrie and Jane. Re episode 227 on drinking beer. I'm with you, Corrie. I have never consumed a glass of beer in my life. I can't get past the smell. I made the lemon Evo cake. Delicious, but I would suggest the 20-centimetre tin needs to be very deep as the mixture was clearly too much for my 20-centimetre tin. I ended up with a dozen mini cupcakes as well, which was a bonus. That's a good tip. Thanks very much for that, Felicity. And Ben Potter sent us a cheerio from McLaren Vale in South Australia. We were talking about that last week with Miles and how much we wanted to go there. And Ben actually has taken the bait. Hi, Caroline and Cory, I love food, wine, travel and sport and listen to your podcast weekly. Thanks for a great show. Oh, thanks, Ben. I was born and grew up in McLaren Vale but have lived in Melbourne for the last 20 years. My wife and I are just about to put a place on Airbnb in McLaren Vale where you can stay if you follow up on your idea to do a podcast in the region. We can all go and stay at Ben's place. It looks amazing. It does. And Miss Jane, when officially that is on Airbnb... We will make sure that um, uh, Jane puts it on the show show notes. And from Sputnik's mum, your latest recommendation, Drops of God, has given me renewed respect for Miles' description of his wine selection each week. I'm waiting for his observation of celery. And that's where my that's where my <laughs> correspondence cuts oh. out, Caro. Any apologies or correspondence for you? Um, well, on Felicity Brown, some um, comments about the olive
2: oil cake. You're right. I do have a twenty centimetre cake tin that is very deep. And you do need a deep cake tin to make it. Our friend Deb Conway, who has a memoir coming out very soon, I think we're going to be talking to her quite soon, she made it and sent me a picture. It looked beautiful, but it does rise quite heavily out of a 20 centimetre tin. But I've got another wonderful recipe that I, I mentioned it last week that involves Cobram Estate olive oil of two different varieties I use for this one. So um, I look forward to telling you about that in BSF, Corrie.
1: Fantastic. I look forward to that. Now on to the show, which is uh, what I'm calling Play Like a Girl. Yes. Finally, we can say that and be proud. The Soccer Force World Cup has sold 1.75 million tickets across tournaments, 64 tournaments, 64 games, sorry. Across Australia and New Zealand in recent weeks, one point seven five million tickets. Caro, the Matildas Instagram account has hit five hundred thousand followers in less than a week. They surged by more than two hundred thousand, including fifty thousand followers who actually clicked to follow during Saturday night's penalty shootouts. Can you believe? There's um, some. It's, uh, it's just incredible.
2: It, it is. I've always, I know, um, you know, senior sports commentators disagree with me. I find it the most excruciating way to decide a match. And there was so many opportunities. You know, Mary Fowler had to absolutely, well, you know, it, it looked like she was going to score and didn't. She's been so wonderful. You know, Sam Kerr came on and sort of changed the game early in the second half. But it was Mackenzie Arnold and her performance, that goalkeeper Unbelievable. Um, I mean, I know she missed her shot, her penalty shot, but the nerves of steel to withstand some of those shots, I think she really deserved to to win the player of the match. I thought she was just extraordinary. And obviously Courtney Vine, who, you know, was not even, was in the squad at the start of the tournament. And said that
1: she suffered from imposter syndrome being part of it.
2: I know, the girl it's from Shepparton who it's... grew up in Brisbane and plays for Sydney in the um, in the local comp, but... Her,
1: we, again, we need,
2: the nerves of steel yeah. to actually take that shot. And every there were so many of them who had to save, really, save Australia's tournament. And then, you know, the shots on the Qantas flight, um, the shots at the AFL, Chris Fagan and Matthew Nix, the two coaches of Adelaide and Brisbane, watching it on a mobile phone at the end of (laughs) the Brisbane-Adelaide
1: game up at the Gabba. Oh, there were so many amazing moments of people watching it in different places. But I think we really have to put this in the context of great Australian sporting moments, just looking at the sport itself, what was achieved. 120 minutes of football, which is um, exhausting and demanding. With no score.
2: No score. I always and vowed then, I'd never, i never. didn't. I don't like watching soccer because of the lack of scoring. But that
1: game was just. Well, it's tactically it was a brilliant. brilliant it's tactically brilliant to watch because defense, offense. It's just extraordinary how much pressure the Australians withstood. Defence, you're an Australian. Oh. Don't don't be an Aussie football coach. <laughs> Defence, um, and <laughs> defense. Defense. an Aussie footy, an Aussie footy. and then and then to have twenty penalties. Oh, and hats off to the French team as well. That is an I extraordinary – the most ever in a World Cup, men's or women's, the most ever, 20 penalties. And you think about the pressure, the intensity that all of the women on that field on both sides were under, not to mention their support staff, coaches and, and everything. It was an incredible, incredible moment. And you remember a couple of weeks ago in the podcast you were uh, just a, a little critical of – of. Um, The women's the 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 media or the lack of access that uh, the Matildas um, management and organisation and yes I was I was and And the World Cup generally was well that's changed it hasn't it changed it's just incredible how accessible they've become my fear Corrie after a a,
2: a, an okay performance against Ireland and then that you know terrible loss to Nigeria where we thought we might bow out before we even got to the round of sixteen um and i don't think any host nation has bowed out before the um before the end of the group stage before i just thought it would be terrible if they didn't if they hadn't come out and beaten canada um sorry well there was denmark and canada wasn't there it would have been so disappointing because i i don't think we would have got to know these girls now the saturday late afternoon game changed all that because we've seen so much of them now. And it's been, oh look, it, it's just been extraordinary. And it, I mean, I, I, I will remember, we were, we were watching it on our sofa in front of the fire and it just got unbearable at several several stages. But, you know, it was sort of worth it for Courtney Vine's unbelievable shot. And it, it took me back to sitting on, I think, my sofa in the early, early, early hours of the morning, the day um, Australia 2 beat, um, the American boat in the America's Cup. I think it was 1982. 19, or, uh, 80, uh, 1982. Yeah. Anyway, I was living. Oh in no, a, sorry, 1983.
1: 80, I was living October in a share house
2: with Andrew Turnside, and we got up and watched it. And I remember yelling out the back balcony. And um,
1: there was a rubbish bin man collecting the garbage, and he was cheering, and we all started cheering. And and I was in Belfast, and people and and they were stopping, saying, "Have you got the America's Cup in your van?" Which we had no idea what they were talking about until we kind of tuned in. It was rather hilarious, but, uh, you know, this is this this win in, in embraces all Australians. The America's Cup was. A lot of us didn't know how yachting worked. We kind of jumped on the bandwagon for oh, a year but or two. I think, I think there's a few of us sport. who don't know how soccer works, Corrie. <laughs> well, well, a few of us have played it at school, myself included. But, well, no, I, think I think there's been I a think, bit of bandwagon, think but think so should loved, be. I think what I've really loved about um, all of this, uh, the social media that has surrounded these girls in recent days, is that they've, they've we're, we're now allowed to see um, the individuals involved. So it's not just the Team Australia, the Matildas, it's the individuals. So we know, for example, the players, their partners, we know some of them are mothers, Um, some of them are experiencing grief, such as Katrina Gorey, whose partner, um, her her partner's father, died just two days before Saturday's match, and they were dealing with that. Um, Hayley Rasso, why she wears a gold ribbon in her hair, so her grandmother can see her on the television and knows which one she is. Katrina Gory again celebrating her birthday on Sunday with all of those Brisbane people singing "Happy Birthday" to her as they made their way onto the bus. It was brilliant. It's just, it's just been so much, so much joy surrounding this. But I think for, for one of the things that, um, and I'm sure you would agree with this too, as a long time <coughs> feminist and somebody who spent most of her working life working in male dominated newsrooms and industries, including my time as the first woman editor of the football record in the 1990s, when so many of my AFL colleagues judged it as a novelty value thing rather than actually my talent or professionalism, men and women are now playing on a level playing field. Men and women are celebrating this win together. As you said, the AFL coaches the AFL teams, the Sydney Swans having their photo taken with the Matildas with such pride yesterday on the turf. Uh, I just think it's fantastic. Uh, men and women are talking about the skills of these girls and the passages of play in the same way, with the same regard for each other's opinions. A few, a few notes of caution.
2: I, I don't believe it is a level playing field. I know the soccer, the roos and the Matildas... I mean Matildas, more in
1: terms of viewing it th- rather this than... This particular
2: event, yes. The roos and the Matildas have parity in terms of pay, but the Matildas, when a lot of them go back, the, those who were playing in Australia, la- the, the lack of facilities and government funding into the so-called world game needs to lift. Um, it and I, I I mentioned AFLW last um, the other night on Footy Classified as sort of the uh, the elephant in the room, and I, I did think that the AFL missed a big opportunity on Saturday to launch its ad campaign for the AFLW season, which is being launched on uh, Monday, next on Monday, uh, August twenty one. Now I know that these are completely different sports, and this is a development league that the AFL has established, but. It's impossible not to ignore the fact that in recent months the AFL have been talking down their product to clubs, to presidents and CEOs as part of their argument not to give them a pay rise. Um, Some of the teams feel disrespected by their own footy clubs and have been treated as such. And it took them only... It's only been a month since they've known when their season was going to start. And some of the fixturing is actually shrinking the game, not growing it. So I think there's been some disappointments there and um the the other cautionary point I'd make, Cory, is i was I was at Turnbury when Greg Norman won his first ever major, the British Open, and he declared the monkey was off his back and that the world was his oyster now. No, he only won one more major, one more British Open, and he still managed to lose from seemingly unlosable positions. When he played American majors, but you he, have to you have to argue though that Brand Norman became huge after that. Well, it already was huge. It already was huge, but it had won this one area. Um, I was there the night. I mean, I've been so fortunate that Kathy Freeman won gold in Sydney in two thousand, and um, I said this the other day. But I saw black and white families embracing outside the Homebush Stadium. This was going to be. I remember speaking, I think, to Herb Elliott, who said this will. You know, for Indigenous athletes coming into the sport where, you know, there hadn't been that many Indigenous athletes can beat for Australia at Olympic level. This was going to change everything. It was going to change athletics for Australia, for women's sport. Well, that didn't happen.
1: Well. It didn't. No, it didn't. No, but no, not, But well, i take your argument about black and white Australia, and but so it's interesting I, it when It didn't they happen with
2: athletics either. So what I hope is that this doesn't happen, that this becomes a legacy that does live on for Australian soccer.
1: It's interesting you mentioned the impact of Cathy Freeman because uh, goalkeeper Lydia Williams was saying and she's fought five World Cup campaigns now with the Matildas and she said in a really interesting um, interview with uh, Joey Freeman on esbn.com.au, and she said that they were ignored and pushed to the margins by so many sporting officials and the public as well. And that they didn't really have any role models because that there just wasn't this media coverage. And Lydia Williams said that they they found in in when she first started playing soccer they found their great sporting ins- inspiration in Kathy Freeman. And I think it's really lovely that Kathy Freeman addressed the Matildas the other day. And if you if you are on Instagram potties and you do have a chance, or any social media, and you have a chance to see, because part of that talk. A lot of it was private, but part of it was filmed. And Kathy sits there and the girls, the looks on their faces from young to old is so respectful. It's so inspired. And I think that Kathy Freeman did have an effect on young women of any sport who oh, wanted to, to come of, into it. Of course she did. But I just, unfortunately, for where athletics
2: are concerned and for Indigenous athletes playing a major role, and obviously we've seen some great athletes have been indigenous and non-indigenous but just not in the numbers that you would have hoped.
1: No, look that's true and you you know you have these great moments don't you as a nation. And um you know I just sort of threw a couple in a you know an email to you and Jane yesterday things like the apology marriage uh, marriage equality vote the walk for reconciliation and you hope that at these these great moments that your country has grown a little and that there's a national character that has has become more, um, you know, equality is at its heart, it's opened its arms, there's greater understanding and greater connection. And maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't, but maybe just a little bit happens and a little bit is better than nothing. And to think of men and women in living rooms, and I was part of that with a group on Saturday night, with men and women talking about the play, talking about the skills, and there's no mansplaining Everybody was on board, everybody was completely in the zone. nobody made and I, and I and I watching this whole World Cup campaign unfold. no sexist comments have I heard, no jokes about the women and their great bodies. It's just been like uh, just respect for the game and their skill and I kind of love that and I hope it has it, it is changing the barometer a bit. And there's
2: a lot to be said for just living in the moment. It was just an unbelievable victory and it's been an unbelievable tour campaign by the the Matildas. And, you know, we can just absolutely enjoy it for what it is. And I I must say it's only probably this code, the World Game Soccer, that could have achieved that because of the international significance. Yeah, I agree. You know, the... Macron, you know,
1: or sort of coming on board. No, look, it was just—it was extraordinary. It is, and and as we said, we were, are recording this before the semi-final against England. And but everything that we say remains. We are all as a nation so proud of what the Matildas have achieved. And go girls in whatever shape, way, or form that takes over the next few weeks, months, years. I think it's time to celebrate with a pink drink. Let's bring Miles in and talk pink. Here comes Miles Thompson from Prince Wine Store with the Cocktail Cabinet and this week we are doing Think Pink in honour of the annual BCNA Field of Women. Miles and Caro, as we know, this is one of the great highlights of the fundraising year. It is when a whole lot of people, thousands of people, gather on the turf of the MCG this year, the MCG on Sunday the 20th of August, just prior to the Melbourne Hawthorne match. And if anybody would like to join in, you can go on to fieldofwomen.org.au or bcna.org.au and look up the details. But we urge everybody to be a part of it. Stand together on the G and form the Pink Lady. that would be fun. You're going, Caroline? aren't you?
2: I'm going. Corrie, you and I did the first Pink Lady together.
1: We did, indeed. There's a photograph of us somewhere Yeah, we, in we should find that archives. photograph.
2: We'll get Miss Jane to put it up. We are, and I am, you sadly have a very important pre-engagement, but I'll be flying the flag for us both, Corrie. um, BCNA is a wonderful organisation. The founding boss, Lynn Swinburne, envisaged the field of women years ago and pushed and pushed and pushed the AFL to make it happen, and she did. She's been ably... She's had a few successes, but now Kirsten Pilati runs BCNA and is doing an equally brilliant job, and the field of women is just
1: going to be brilliant. It is, and if you can't make it to the G, do what I'm going to do, which is jump on Breast Cancer Network of Australia website and donate and show your support that way. And we're showing our support through the alcohol industry today, (laughs) Miles, with a pink theme, which I think is a rather lovely nod to all of those um, wonderful women and men who each year are diagnosed with the dreaded Mm. breast cancer. So tell us about your pink theme. offerings.
3: Yeah, well we talked about last week we talked about the Dominic Portet Sparkling Rosé, so that was an easy, you know, plus we can celebrate, lots going on to celebrate. So we can celebrate with that, so Pinot Chardonnay from the Yarra Valley. It's been a bit of a staple of the of the Portet brand for a long time and it is one of the tastiest sparkling wines we do. Very good. It's been a bit of a stalwart sort of shelf shelf staple at Prince for for time memorial. It's been one of those. It's just such a great, easy drinking, but kind of serious at the same time. Sparkling rosé. So I,
2: I, I, I have a very dear friend. We meet for lunch every. We would like to do it more, but it's usually every cup two or three months, and we always start with a glass of Dominic Porte. Oh, great, well, Carol. You, re- you know, so I, I
1: reckon the I piece. had my very yeah. first glass with you when um, we had a book club one year. Maybe it was about the late nineties, in the Yarra Valley, and on the way to the book club we did a little stop at Dominic Porte's winery we did. And we had a wine tasting, and I think we, from memory, I know I bought a couple of bottles of the sparkling. I thought it was terrific. Mm. It's just it's just been, um, as you say, Miles, for at least a couple of decades, it's just been a regular. Yeah, real standard, uh, our, standard. Our dear bearer. friend
2: Roe Thompson is the sister-in-law of God Oh, okay. And, um, in fact, my son, Corrie's godson, Ned, worked there briefly on a summer job. Oh. But it's a most fabulous place, and he right. makes some great wines. Absolutely. I know Ben, sparkly, the
3: son, a bit better than... Okay. I don't know if I've ever met Dominique it but yeah, yeah, so it's great, it's such a great, it's a nice place to go out to as well, it's a beautiful little spot.
2: In the Yarra Valley, yeah, but it's Yarra. not super expensive, no. is it, the sparkling no, No,
3: it's, I think it's uh, 45 so it used to be a little bit cheaper than that, but you know, sparkling's, you know, that's one of the things, sparkling's kind of annoying and difficult to make, so it was always probably a little bit too, a little bit too cheap, yeah, $45, it's, it's fantastic.
2: Okay, well, that's a good start, Miles. That's one. And i got,
3: I got another wine and I've got a, a gin because why not? Go ahead. So so the other wine is the the, the Kerner Brothers. They're out of Adelaide Hills. Oh, we Hills. love
2: the Kerner yeah, Brothers.
3: They're Pegato. So this is a yes. pinky orange, but I thought it would be, be nice to sort of talk about their wines. Pegato, which is probably most people know it as Vermentino. Um, Pegato is just, I think, one of the dialects in, in Italy. Um It's, so a skin contact, so it gets this lovely pinky salmon, orange kind of hue to it. They do it with some whole berries in that skin contact for about 20 days. So it gets this lovely sort of pithy sort of citrus texture. Um, It's kind of lovely sort of, almost it's like peach, iced tea, lemon sort of thing going on. Really, really cool wine. Just when
2: you think he's going to run out of comparisons. <laughs> what's the word um, metaphors
1: or similes or?
2: Can I, similes, he finds another one.
1: Can I say that um in this wonderful um, Apple TV series I recommended last week, Drop of God, there is a fair oh, okay. bit of peach happening in one of the tests that are, taste tests that are set right. to the two contestants.
2: And we had the Kerner Brothers at Jesus our God. wonderful wine tasting. We did at Prince last year. Yeah. And I, I bought half a dozen oh, bottles yeah. as a result. I loved it.
3: Yeah, we really liked their wines. They're very, very cool. It's K
2: O K O
3: E R N E R. Yep. Yeah.
2: And how much does that cost?
3: That's forty-one.
2: That's pretty good, and That's of course good. with the yeah. with the code M E W S, you will get a discount,
3: and then you get your ten percent off for that as well. Sounds yeah, great. they make they Sounds make a Lovely
1: spring wine, actually.
3: Yeah, exactly. They, they make wines that are lovely textural and have these lovely sort of like like what I would call like these subtle complexities, but still have all that lovely upfront sort of fruit, that easiness as well. So they kind of they do a really good job of sort of. You know, nailing the brief for people who maybe aren't that into wine, but just want something interesting to drink, and people who might be a bit more serious that are going to kind of pick a wine apart a little bit, and you'll still get something out of it as well.
2: Great, Great. recommendation. And what's let's the gin? get down to business. <laughs> and
3: and the gin. So I was going to do the Snap. I was going to do the herno, but I actually decided on on the uh, Spring Bay. I thought we'd go all all Aussie since uh, Aussie team's doing so well. We'll just keep with an Aussie theme. Um, so Spring Bay from Tasmania, and it's their pink gin. Never heard of it, Corrie. Oh, What's Bay's, the name of it again? Spring Bay. Love it. Yeah. So they sort of started off with just uh, the one gin, which they were, I think they were making, you hear this a lot, they were making, because they wanted to make um, whiskey. So you have to wait the three years to age it. So they were sort of waiting. So they were making this gin. But they make this lovely, quite subtle, pretty sort of gin. It's It's... Really lovely and super clean, as you'd imagine from Tasmania. You know that really sort of there's really clean flavours. It's really beautiful, and then this is done with. Um, I think there's a local farm. They got it all from one farm, um, raspberries. So they macerate it with the raspberries to give it that sort of pink colour, and it gives it a little bit of flavour. It's not sweet. It's not like a you know raspberry liqueur. It is a dry gin, and it gets this lovely pink colour from the raspberries, um, and it's just based on their on their standard gin. So that. Kind of standard, subtle sort of London gin, like London dry style, which is that juniper sort of driven little licorice root, really lovely stuff. And,
1: and where about Inteszi is uh, Spring oh, Day? You know what?
3: I don't know. I didn't. I, I have don't know. Ninety-seven for the gin.
1: Great, fantastic. Yeah. So that's the Dominic Porte sparkling rosé at forty-five dollars a bottle. Gee, that's good value, isn't it? It's very. It has Co- gone up though. It used to be even better value. It was like
3: thirty-eight or something.
1: Yeah. The Kerner Brothers Pegato. <laughs> Uh, which is $41 a bottle and mm-hmm. from Spring Bay in Tasmania the Spring Bay Pink Gin $97 and I have uh, I actually just have called it up on my website here and it's on the east coast of Tasmania Spring Bay Distillery and it looks to be probably about maybe 100k northeast of Hobart so it's on that it's on that coastline there sounds great
3: Yep. Another, another
1: distillery on our yeah.
3: on the our Apple sort Isle. of
2: dartboard where, where we're pinning the tail on yeah. the donkey. A list we're going of to places go to go, exactly. Absolutely. Um,
0: Guys, I just wanted to mention as well, Kate Goodman. She's the head winemaker at Penley Estate Winery in Coonawarra in SA. She's been named the Australian Winemaker of the Year for 2024 by Halliday Wine Companion. You may not have this in Prince Wine Store, Miles, but I think we need you to get it in. She's a breast cancer survivor and a winemaker. And so she has made a special rosé with 100% of the profits going to the Breast Cancer Network Australia. It's called the 2020 Nickel Rosé. She says it's fun, it's feminine and with all those profits going to BCNA, such a great oh, cause. Yeah, bravo. I will put the link in the show notes. So it's a 150 for a six-pack. They can deliver Australia-wide through BCNA. Or perhaps we can get you to stock it at Prince yeah. Wine store. I'll have a,
2: I'll have a Jane, it might be fun, it might be friendly, but is it pale? Rule
1: number three. (laughs)
0: I'm not sure. It's getting 92 points out of 100. Wow. I'm sure it's fabulous. And Miles, (laughs) we've just been talking
1: before you came in about the power, the marketing power of women. So maybe Mm. Prince should have a look at that one.
3: Yeah, I'll have a look at it for sure.
0: And I,
1: I
3: don't I think I've met Kate Goodman before. So well, and great that yeah, she's
0: making great. wine even Amazing. after having gone through treatment yeah, and a breast crazy. cancer survivor. Miles, thank you
1: very much. And if people want to buy uh, one or all of the products that you've spoken about today, what do they do?
3: Just uh, go to the website. And when you've got your cart full of goodies, just put in the code M-E-S-S and you'll get 10% off all the wines.
1: Fantastic. That's princewinestore.com.au. Um, and thank you uh, to Prince Wine Store for supporting our podcast and, of course, Miles for coming in each week and um, tempting us with so many goodies. Miles, we'll see you next week. Pleasure. Thank you. Book, screen and food, Caro. Our favourite segment, or is it indeed? I quite like grumpy myself. Uh, Book, screen and food. And we welcome, of course, Cobram Estate, our wonderful new sponsors of this segment, particularly our recipe of the week. More on that a bit later. But let's start with a book. And you've read this book, but I'm going to kick us off with a bit of a synopsis and you feed in. This is a new release Called the Fire by Daniela Crean K R I E N and she is a German writer. This is her third novel. I read her first novel uh, probably a couple of years ago called Love in Five Acts. Carol, I highly recommend this book. It's it's um, you could say five short stories, and and each one is about a woman coming to terms with fulfilling her role as a wife or as a mother or as a friend or as a lover. Uh, but they there are uh, segues between the different stories. So it's called Love in Five Acts. Highly recommend this. And mm. one of the things I do love about Danielle Crean's style is that she does seem to take seemingly normal family or relationship scenario and then explores the simmering angers and anguishes and regrets and melancholy and so on that wrap themselves around relationships and just make us all a bit too... Um, you know introverted sometimes thinking too much about stuff that may or may not be happening and and how these these sorts of thoughts and feelings dominate relationships the fire has been marketed as a marriage in decline but i'm not sure it's actually a marriage in decline i would say more a portrait of a marriage that is just completely exhausted we have 49-year-old psychotherapist rahel and her university professor husband peter who who is in his 50s they live in dresden uh, and they have two adult children. And in fact, one of them, the daughter, has two kids. So they are grandparents. And A very ra- annoying daughter, if <sighs> you don't mind me saying. I kept thinking of Kimmy and Kath and Kim, just quite demanding. Um, and Rahel and Peter have planned this hiking holiday when plans change the log, f- log cabin, Uh, resort where they were planning to spend their little holiday, their two or three week holiday has gone up in flames, hence the title, the fire. And the two of them end up wondering what on earth they're going to do with their enforced leave, which sort of suggests they're going to have to spend a lot of time together. Ruth, a longtime friend of Rahel's mother, late mother, um, calls one day to say that her husband, Victor, who's had a stroke, has to go to a stroke rehabilitation clinic in the city and would Rahel and Peter think about coming to her farm and looking after the animals? The couple agree, Peter's well, somewhat reluctantly. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Rahel agrees and then Peter has to is forced to go is what happens. That's right. Um, a few days into the trip, of course, the daughter arrives, the aforementioned daughter, difficult daughter, arrives for a couple of days of free babysitting and this triggers in Rahel a lot of self-doubts and reflections upon her own abilities as a mother and what she did right and wrong, particularly as a working mother. So it is an interesting book, isn't it, Carol? Because this couple go away, they're questioning their marriage. We can't, we can't work out at the very beginning where the problems or the cracks have occurred, what's going on. But I must say that one of the, um, one of the aspects of this novel that I really enjoyed was uh, – Peter and the causes for his disconnection from the marriage, and we're not going to give anything away. But Danielle Crean said in an interview, I wanted to deal with the idea that some older men feel alienated from contemporary society. They don't understand it, and so they withdraw from it. And I think that's really interesting. And also interesting, just before you tell me what you think of this book, is this book is set in old East Germany. So after the reunification of East and West Germany in 1989 and the Berlin Wall fell, we all thought in the West, happy days, everybody's going to connect and everything's going to be terrific and they'll you know now Germany is one country. Well, 30 years later, Daniela Crean in her novel is reminding us that things are not equal yet even. So what did you think about the book?
2: Yeah, I thought the um, the fact that they're, they're a Dresden, it was set in Dresden. I mean, obviously most of the book is set in this... Beautifully described country part of Germany that um, I think the descriptions by Daniel were absolutely beautiful of both the house, the animals, the relationship with the animals, and the lake where they swim. Um, but the fact that Dresden, which has such a you know black history um, from World War Two and what happened to Dresden during World War Two with the with the bombing. Um, That comes into it a bit. Um, Without going into too much detail yet, it it was a work scandal that really challenged, was one of the things that has challenged their marriage, that Peter suffered, and that they're still feeling really the aftershock from what happened. Um, I thought the relationship with their son, who's a bit of a remote character and has been incredibly successful in his career, but has almost sort of checked out of the family, but does come back, at certain parts of the novel it was really interesting. Uh, the, the daughter comes in as sort of a disruptor, demanding this, demanding that, um, picking on her mother. Um, there's a mystery. I love the mystery, where which sort of unravels throughout the book about um, the relationship between the main woman in the book and Ruth and Ruth's husband, who's had the stroke. Um, a lot of stuff goes on in the husband. He's a famous artist in his workroom and what is their relationship really, um, you know, the, the dead mother and her role in it all. It it's, It is, a, I think it's a great family saga. And a great we have to, we have to remember
1: here, I think it's only about 180 or 190 pages. It's not a big novel. But there's a no. lot in it, isn't there? And it's
2: conclusive, but it's inconclusive.
1: Yeah, and it's a very good one for book clubs, don't you think?
2: Yeah, oh, you're right. It's it's a very good portrait of a marriage, and I really enjoyed it. I know I said to you, we're we going to review The Storm, but you're right. It is called The Fire by Daniela Crean, and I really, really enjoyed it. And I thought the translation was pretty good, too. Great. Well, take us away with your screen. Well, this was a recommendation from Anna from the Op, op Shop, Um it's called Kin, and it's on SBS On Demand. Um, look, it this is it's it's Irish, it's an Irish drama, it's a gangland drama about a family. A lot of um, a lot of the book reminded me of Animal Kingdom, the great film that um completely reignited Jackie Weaver's career, put her on the international map, and there is a Jackie Weaver character in Kin. But um, it's basically about a family and um, it starts with um, one member of the family, one of the sons returning home. You don't know where from and it becomes pretty obvious he's returning home from jail and there's a bit of a family reunion to welcome him and you get to know all the different characters very, very quickly. But the characters on the exterior of this family are equally important and um, one of them played by Kiaren Hines, who's a well-known actor who um, has been in so many brilliant films and TV series, is one of the protagonists that leads to basically a gangland war. And all the different family members... Oh, the, the acting, Corrie, is absolutely brilliant. You do spend sort of the first series having to really listen to actually understand what they're saying, the first a, series
1: or the first episode? The first series. Oh I'm,
2: really? I, I'm I'm about halfway through the first series. And apparently people have been going through that thing where the episodes have dropped, but it's all dropped now, so I'm actually loving it. I, I want to single out Claire Dunn, who is absolutely brilliant in this. Charlie Cox. Claire Dunn plays the mother of um or, or the wife of one of the other brothers.
1: Have we met her in anything before? Do you I'm, know? I think she's um I've definitely
2: seen her before, and I reckon I've seen her in – she's absolutely beautiful. She has a really interesting mark under her eye, and you don't don't know whether that's her or whether it's some part of her character, but in fact, the actress in real life has this dark sort of mark under her eye. All the brothers are brilliant, but you've got to watch the first episode, and I won't give too much away, but there is an unspeakable family tragedy. That happens right at the end of the first episode. That precipitates all the different roles. I would describe it as Shakespearean.
1: Wow! Well, it's, you definitely had me at Irish, and then you had me at Gangland, and now you have me at Shakespeare. It, it's it's absolutely
2: oh, it, and you know, and you get to know the foibles of all the characters as it goes on. But you know, it's um, which character actually is involved in the legitimate job that washes the money, um. The family that, you know, although they're all involved in this illegal activity, are sort of fronting up as a very, very presentable um, upper middle class family where um, the two sons go to private school and they want their sons. They want something better for their sons. Well, one of the partners in the marriage does. Um, The character who comes out of jail, the other brother, he, something dreadful has happened in his past with his family and um, he has a daughter who he's not allowed to see and you know that you're pretty sure from the first episode that's going to change. It is, it, it really gets you in, Corrie. You will really enjoy Kin, SBS On Demand.
1: Great. And we can watch Kin while we're eating your recipe because it sounds like one that you can eat on your lap in a bowl. Thanks
2: to Cobram Estate because there is – I added the robust Cobram Estate extra virgin olive oil for one part of this recipe and I added – well, I suppose it's just the um, regular um, extra virgin olive oil, premium extra virgin olive oil for another part of the recipe. This, Corrie, is a perfect midweek meal and it is so simple. And it's one of those recipes, it's a main course, that you will have everything pretty much in your cupboard – Lentils with cavalo nero, I'd use frozen spinach because I didn't have cavolo nero, that beautiful green.
1: It's hard to find. I usually use kale as a substitute.
2: Yeah, kale or silverbeet. But I just had all this leftover frozen spinach from an Indian recipe I'd done a few weeks earlier, so I used that. And sausage. Now, it, um, I recommend that you get um, – they say originally um, the recipe was – Cottaccino, and this is a Julia Zamero recipe again, not Julia Zamero, Ostro. Uh, Julia Bizzuto Nishimura. Apologies to Julia Zamero, that wonderful TV performer, Miss Jane's laughing. But this is out of the Ostro cookbook again. Now, she recommends it originally, it was a cottaccino. it was a very fatty Italian sausage, but I use beautiful pork and fennel sausages from the Paran market. But the recipe, the, the the trick to this recipe is in the lentils, and it is absolutely delicious. You use the uh, um, French puy lentils. Um, you start off with one and a half tablespoons of robust extra virgin olive oil, and you probably need a bit more. There's carrot, there's onion, sea salt, dry white wine, a tomato, garlic cloves, the lentils, a liter of chicken stock, the greens, which they recommend a bunch of cavolo nero, roughly chopped. And you basically make this beautiful lentil stew. And it is so simple, Corrie. You don't need to soak the lentils or anything like that. Then you make a salsa verde. I'm being a bit dishonest. I use the the robust olive oil in both, but you don't have to. The robust Cobram Estate olive oil in this salsa verde. It's a salsa verde with a difference. You soak some old sourdough bread in full cream milk. And then you mix it up with capers, sea salt, garlic, three anchovy fillets, um, a big handful of flat leaf parsley, the fine the finely grated zest and juice of half a lemon, and another quarter cup of the Cobram Estate olive oil. And you whiz all that once you've squeezed the bread out of the milk. And so what you have is a bed of this beautiful lentil stew, some beautiful sausages just served on top. I just had one, Brendan had two, and a bowl of the extra of, of these, the um Salsa Verde made with the robust Cobram Estate olive oil sitting next to it, and you pour that over the top. It is absolutely delicious. Sounds
1: yummy. and Any sausages will do. You know, Caro, the, the sausage is much maligned. There are a lot of people who think that a sausage is not an appropriate thing to serve at a dinner party or something like that. I say cod's wallop to that. I went to – do you remember my friend Fleur McCarg when she was married all those years ago? Peter Rowland did the uh, f- himself actually planned the um planned the menu, and we had as a main course, bangers and mash. How delicious! How delicious! I'll never forget. I was sitting on a table with Lillian Frank, who must have been to many a, uh, a sit down dinner <laughs> with a chicken breast, and she just was over the moon. Darling, this is brilliant. And it was. It was just, we all hoed in. Everybody, like you could have almost licked our plates. And whenever I serve sausages as a, you know, as a, as a, Kind of a main course thing because I just can't be bothered doing anything else. People rave and we all, it's always like, why is the sausage maligned the way it is? I know then, I know they're fatty and I know they're not great for your diet. Well, the pork and fennel, the really good quality pork lean. and fennel ones yeah. are very lean.
2: And those ones you get from Mediterranean wholesales, wholesalers are delicious. My friend Stephen Mandy turned 60 and he had a, um, a just a, a party on the Yarra at a cafe on the Yarra and that was what they served sausages in white bread, and he insisted that they had to be the supermarket sausages and the white bread had to be, you know, I don't know if it was Wonder White, what sort of white bread it was, but that was what it was with tomato sauce or mustard.
1: We were talking about this and the other day. And everyone was thrilled. The, um, the Bunnings, we were talking about this the other day, the Bunnings uh, sausage, sausage, sausage sizzle, and people complaining, why do you have to pay more? If you are, if you're a vegetarian and you're only having onion in a in a piece of bread, and we're going for God's sake, it's for charity. It's a fundraising. I use. know. <laughs> anyway, that's well, very tight. That's a really good recipe. It's lentils Corrie. Le- it's very easy. Lentils. Cavolo Nero and sausage from the Julia Basuto Nishimura cookbook Oströ. Miss Jane will have the recipe on the show notes, and that's our recipe of the week. Brought to us by Cobram Estate, Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil, grown, harvested, and first cold pressed in Northern Victoria. And Caro and I, and Miss Jane, and all of our don't shoot the messengers out there, are thrilled to have Cobram Estate on board. And I must also say that we are powered up, Caro. We're powered up by Red Energy and they're powered in turn by the Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Switch to Aussie-owned Red Energy today. And thank goodness for Red Energy because um, it helped me with my heating this morning because it was very, very cold. Now, Caro, you're grumpy.
2: I'm moving back to the Matildas and I just want to have a bit of a crack at our Prime Minister Why on earth has he talked about a public holiday if the Matildas win the World Cup? Talk about putting the moz on the Matildas. No wonder Anthony Albanese was so relieved. He looked so relieved and thrilled, in fact, um, in Brisbane on Saturday night when he ran out onto the ground and embraced um, Australia's coach because he'd already declared, if the Matildas win the World Cup, I'm going to make a public holiday. You don't do that. You don't talk about something that hasn't happened yet. When it comes to a sporting event, it's far. It, and
1: also, I don't think I don't think it should be a public holiday. Putting back, putting my old shopkeeper hat on, it kills trade. These things, like it kills the economy when you have a public holiday.
2: Well, yes, I mean there is that, but I I'm more I'm more grumpy about the fact that he's put the moths on our yeah, wonderful agree. Matildas, and I notice the New South Wales Premier has come out in support of it. Let's just see how we go against England. And if by some unbelievable, unbelievable chance of fortune, we beat England, who were the favourites to win the World Cup, and then we're playing, um, who will it be, either Sweden or Spain mm. in the final. Let's let's not even think about it then. I, I just, agree, Albo. Keep a lid on it. It's like when footy teams, AFL teams, start um, complaining about having to play a final, not at their home
1: ground, when they're not even in the final yet. Just... Very, very bad karma. So that's my grumpy And we fall. woke up this morning to see that opinion polls regarding the Prime Minister are low, low as they go. Mm. Oh, really? We might have to talk about that next week, the impact of the voice on the Prime Minister. Um, Caro, that was a good grumpy and I completely agree with you. So let's get on to six quick questions for Red Energy. What's your latest Melbourne GLT? This is the most wonderful GLT and I'm only
2: sorry that we've all missed it now. Um, but it is just um, something that I will definitely be doing next year. And it is just such a great... um, And apparently it's been going, Corrie, for nearly 10 years. It's the Spring 1883 Art Fair. Have you heard of this at the Windsor Hotel in Melbourne? Um, no. Sorry, it hasn't been going for 10 years. It's been going for eight years. My son, Ned, who's in town at the moment, went on Friday night The Windsor Hotel opens its doors to a lot of young, cool artists. I know um, the fabulous fashion brand Alpha 60 had an exhibit on there. But it's an an exhibition that goes through all the rooms of the Windsor Hotel. And it's not expensive, but um, there's art in the bath. There's art on the bed. There's art in, in, you know, sitting in the showers. Um, There's sculpture. There's paintings. There's fashion. And it's through the rooms of the Windsor Hotel. How fabulous! I just—it's it, based on a, a New York idea, I think, from the Grand. What a brilliant Hotel. idea!
1: And those beautiful function rooms. We, oh. You and I went to a very famous wedding at the Windsor Hotel. We did, we did. <laughs> I think were our daughters flower girls. Your daughter was a flower girl, and we were all filmed by the federal police. Was there anyone packing in
2: the bridal party? <laughs> As we found out later. Spring 1883 Art Fair. Now, this went for four or five days. It ended a few days ago. It's on every August. All
1: right. and I never... Diary
2: date. Did you know anything about it? No,
1: I've never heard, and I thought I knew a lot about the visual arts in Melbourne. Clearly not a lot. What a great idea. We'll put that in the diaries for next year. What's your latest Mornington Peninsula GLT, Corrie? Rosebud Plaza.
2: Oh, it's had a makeover. Did you know no, but there's a lovely deli on in the main street just outside Rosebud Plaza that I. Rose, Rosebud spent much Plaza time is in.
1: a ripper. So anybody who's going down to the Mornington Peninsula, or indeed if you live on the Mornington Peninsula, Rosebud, Pla- Rosebud Plaza has under, undergone a significant brand and venue overhaul. So they've been working away um, for a few months, and they, it has new branding, new logo, all that kind of thing. And I was there the other day for a couple of hours. Um, long story, dog having a quaff. so I spent a bit of time at the Rosebud Plaza. A much-needed quaff, I, much went... needed coif, yeah, I she might did. add. <laughs> she looked a bit scruffy after the Italian trip. Um, but she was much loved by Coco in Geelong, but she did need a bit of a cut. I went to Kmart. I called into Specsavers. I went to Adairs. Bonds have a new shop there. The old Target's been taken over by Woolies. Beautiful new Woolies. Coles is up the other end. You can have a, I didn't do this this time, but I have done this before um, at Body and Balance. You can have a half hour back massage caro for 50 bucks. But the really good news are the ladies lose. I presume the men are the same. The bathrooms have, they are the most beautiful public bathrooms I have ever been into in my life. Full stop. Is there a good coffee shop, cafe? Ah, there's a couple of good coffee. Okay, coffee. Okay, coffee. Can I go back to the bathroom? Yes, please do. (laughs) Timber and grey tiles. Timber, just beautiful pale timber surfaces. Grey tiles. You know when you go into a lady's bathroom and if you've got your mobile phone with you, you often have to put it on the floor because there's nowhere really you can put it. It has one of those big dispensers with a flat top so you can put your phone on it. Amazing, like beautifully kept um, sinks hand basins. wash I was so impressed. I actually took photos. I thought, not that I'm doing a bathroom reno anytime soon, but it looks pretty fantastic. So that's the Rosebud Plaza. That is my GLT. You can trip down the road to the Dramana IGA while you're at it. Oh, you can. Our mm. favourite supermarket. World's best supermarket. Oh, after Leo's in Kew. In um, Caro, what once vital commodity is becoming hard to find? Money. Cash. <laughs> Have you? Have no, you? I have none. Have
2: you tried to get cash out of an ATM lately? They keep dying. They keep being removed. Well, it's Every
1: people like me are using my phone to do my transactions. Yes, but some things you need cash for. Some things you, you, I you might. You still write checks, don't
2: you? You might go to a certain market stall, and they add a premium for credit card or even debit cards. Some people like to be paid in cash, and I don't think there is anything wrong with that. It doesn't mean they're tax dodgers. They just like folding. And I find it really annoying that every time I turn, there's another ATM that has been wrenched out of a wall. And when I do find an ATM that might be at least close to where I live, or if I'm walking the dog, or if I'm in the car, that they charge me $3.50 or even $4 sometimes now to take out money. It's just uh, it uh, makes me. There's a, in fact, that's another grumpy. But you know, I, I Corey, it is so difficult to find cash now. Where you live, there used to be three ATMs mm, I know. In, or four ATMs in the local main street. Now there's one, and for some people, they have to pay a premium to take money out there. You could go into the bank and ask for money. There's no bank in the main street anymore. There's one bank in the main street. Oh, is there?
1: No, mm-hmm. oh, it's not my bank. Anyway, that's that's um, my um, It's kind of a it's it's a it's a an observation morphed into a grumpy. Yeah, it is actually. <laughs> I'll have to cheer up for my next one. Corey. during
2: Australia's quarterfinal against France on Saturday, when what did you fear feel weird saying out loud and then noted the next day others felt weird admitting also? The good looking
1: Le Bleu's coach <laughs> Hervé Renard <laughs> Yeah, he So was. I must have said probably, mm, you know, maybe 14 times, oh, he's so good looking. And I th- uh, so then there was a bit of a discussion about the appropriateness or otherwise of saying that. And I just said, look, why can't you just say somebody is a bit of a hunk? Why am I not allowed to say that anymore? Charismatic, good looking. So the next day... <laughs> I thought Tony Gustafson's all right too, isn't he? I wasn't looking at him.
2: Well you should have been. He was our coach. He was very cool during all those penalty shootouts.
1: I'm sorry, yeah, I know. But like we're talking about the Le Bleu's coach. So the next day on an Instagram account, um, a friend actually of one of my daughters had had a story posting saying, Can we please talk about the French coach? <laughs> and then on the and then on the project, um Sarah, what's her name? I can't remember her surname, sorry, it's gone out of my head apparently was, I don't watch the show, but apparently she was raving about the 54-year-old French coach and um, said, it's the jawline, the tan, the hair, the shirt unbuttoned, just so, which I thought was a bit overboard. Um, And then news.com.au actually followed it up the other day, yesterday, I think, with a story saying, Matilda's fans can't help swooning over French coach. Fans around the globe have assembled in awe after spotting France's dreamboat coach. And Matilda's fans are no different. Guilty.
2: One day we might see the
1: Matildas win a World Cup final with a woman coach. Wouldn't that be great? Oh, hopefully soon. Uh, Kara, lots of hints surrounding the AFL's grand final day plans. Oh, this hoary chestnut. Of all the rumours, what's the biggest disappointment, do you think? That it looks like Lance Franklin won't be part
2: of a retiring player's motorcade. Now, Why? It, hasn't been, it hasn't been 100% confirmed, but I just I continue to say I, d- does Lance Franklin owe his football fans anything? Did he owe us a farewell press conference? I think he did. And if you watch Nick Natanui's farewell, and there's been some wonderful farewell press conferences in the past few weeks of AFL players, Nick Natanui talked about his background. Coming to Australia, um, his hopes and dreams.
1: I loved his press. How football, the other day. you
2: know, put a roof over his head. How he hopes, how he always hoped that young children like him, men and women, could see what he'd done and aspire to do what he had done. It was just wonderful, and it just reinforced again how disappointing it was that Sydney couldn't get Lance to even speak to his supporters or film a farewell speech to his teammates. And you just wonder. You just wonder whether there's commercial deals involved elsewhere or if it's all part of the mystique. But, but how do be... you know he's
1: not going to be part of the motorcade?
2: Because I heard someone report it the other day who um, I think I heard, um, was it Tom Morris say that it looked like, hasn't been confirmed, it looks like at this stage he won't be doing it. So if it's not too late, Lance, think about it. Well, if, Corey, if your
1: Jack retires this week, which is expected. He's retired. He's reti- oh, has he?
2: Yeah. <laughs> he's oh. retired. Um, Today? Today? Well, yeah. Well, we're on air. Well, he it, he will retire today as to time code this conversation, but it's been announced he's going to retire. Oh,
1: today. my goodness, Well, you be in tears on Grand Final Day. He is saying sort of, goodbye to. He's a been my favourite
2: player at the Tigers during the Trend glory him? years and during the tough years. But um why was he wearing um different jumpers during the Maddie's match the other day? I hope it was to sell those jumpers to charity to raise money. Oh, for the Maddie Revolt Foundation. I think he might
1: pop up somewhere.
2: Got oh, I, yeah. Look, he, he's been a great. He's been a great champion. Just one of what he has done for that football club. Anyway, let's leave it at that. Corrie, you are going to bring us home with an amazing fact.
1: Yeah. Back onto the Matildas. Some people will know this how the Matildas got their name, but there are about five different stories relating to this. Uh, the, the Matildas' humble beginning started in October 1979 when 11 Australian women hit the soccer pitch in the Sydney suburb of Miranda and they played throughout the 80s and they didn't have a proper name. They were just known as the Australian Women's Team, even though the Socceroos had been known by that name since 1972. Suddenly we get to a World Cup 16 years later and there is a bit of thinking about what should we call our name, the Soccerettes the Lady Socceroos, the Soccer Bells, even the Jillaroos was uh, suggested, which have now, now of course, is the National Women's Rugby League team name. So it became pretty obvious for the FIFA Women's World Cup in 1991, Caro, we needed to do something. And Sharon Young, who played four A Internationals for Australia, Sharon Young at the time, um, well, she recalled that, they're, they're, that officials were asking for suggestions and she came forward and said, what about Matilda? She was that kangaroo who went around the stadium at the Commonwealth Brisbane Games. Commonwealth <laughs> Games, don't we all remember her? So, and the mascot Matilda had obviously the name had been taken from Walsing Matilda, the Banjo Patterson famous eighteen ninety five bush ballad, widely regarded as our unofficial national anthem. But um, anyway, she threw the name in, and Peter Hug, who was the then CEO of the Australian Women's Soccer Association was thinking, what can we do, what can we do? They decided to have a poll on SBS, on their footy show, their soccer show. And people called in. They were given five different names and they had to vote. And the one that won the day was the Matildas. So uh, that we went into that um, first World Cup match against Sweden known as the Matildas. And that's how we got our name. And a wonderful name it is. And
2: they are playing, in fact, on Wednesday night, the Lionesses. They are <laughs> The Lionesses.
0: <laughs> Rawr! Miss well, Jane, take what that. Are you
2: screwing up <laughs> your nose about, Miss Jane? Well,
0: I mean, I know the lion is the symbol of the empire, but, like, there's no lions in England. Good point, Shane That's true Regent's
1: Park Zoo, but you've got a very good point Matilda was one of the names I
2: seriously thought about um, when um, naming both my first and second
1: daughters Well, my my brother Steve's granddaughter is Matilda and do you know that if you are they're coming down to Melbourne to visit because they live in Sydney and Matilda, I think this is right, gets a free flight because her name is Matilda for this month Did you know that? There you go. I'll, I'll double well, check what Qantas the is data. giving free flights to anyone called Matilda. No, Virgin. Virgin. Sorry. Virgin. Wow. Let me double check that. So every person who has a Matilda in their life is madly waiting for the, the, the my summary of this. I will report back next week, Well oh, Corey, that we, might be a bit disappointing for people who are going to no, take no, it on No, no, it's definitely board. no, it's definitely happening because Tilly's coming. Tilly's coming down on a free flight. So there you go. Ten percent discount, not free. Oh, Jane! <laughs> God, you're a whiz with Google. I went to 10%. a new restaurant okay. the other that night. That is so typical for me to completely exaggerate. Corey,
2: I went to a new restaurant the other night and there was a review of this restaurant in The Age. It was a really good review and it said half-price cocktails for the month of August. And we got there. It was a lovely, um, you know, small family dinner and a lot of people were drinking cocktails. And I said, um, so half-price cocktails. And the guy looked at me said no. And he said, hang on, I'll go and check with the management. And he came back and, oh, no, that was for July 31 and August 1. And the age review said it was half price cocktails for the month of August. And I was going to have a cocktail, but you know what? I thought, no, I'm not gonna have one now. That's bad, isn't it? Well, it's the age's fault, really. Well no, that's what ma- well we we don't know whose fault it was. Oh, okay. I haven't got bad to the bottom of that.
1: Okay, ten percent you if bit, your name's mature. But you
2: feel a bit sort of embarrassed asking, but if that's what it says in the review.
1: Yeah, that's right.
2: It was a nice restaurant, but anyway, it was a bit disappointing. Um, I had a glass of wine instead.
1: Great chat, and don't forget there's more of it later in the week when we drop another episode of Dear Caro and Corrie where we solve your dilemmas. If you do have any, don't forget to write to feedback at dontshootpod.com.au, Dear Caro and Corrie, and we will get to your um, dilemma. Meanwhile, we'll be back again next week, and we'd like to thank, of course, those who power us such as Red Energy and Prince Wine Store and of course Cobram Estate. Welcome to the panel Cobram Estate. Great to have you on board. Go Matilda's. Go hawk's (laughs)
0: last two weeks. And what do we say, Carol? Don't shoot the messenger. Thanks for listening to this episode of Don't Shoot the Messenger with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. We love getting your feedback. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook with the handle at Don't Shoot Pod, and you can send us an email anytime to feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Of course, you can rate and review the show wherever you listen to your podcasts or you can tell a friend about Don't Shoot the Messenger. That is the easiest way to help us spread the word and support the podcast. Thanks also to our fantastic sponsors. Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. You can switch to Aussie-owned Red Energy today. Prince Wine Store, bringing Melburnians the greatest wines in the world. And Cobram Estate, Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil, grown, harvested and first cold-pressed in northern Victoria.